You're listening to Spice Radio 1200 AM's The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Charlie Smith, the editor of Vancouver. Charlie, how are you? Oh, very well. Thanks, uh, and Karen. Awesome. So there's a, a lot of things that happened this week, Charlie, and I'm really looking forward to getting your thoughts on it. First off, Canada has elected Liberal MP Greg Fergus to be the new Speaker of the House of Commons. Fergus is the first black man to hold that position, and I thought that's amazing. So what do you make of uh, also, especially, you know, Fergus taking on this position? Well, it's kind of fun because he says, as a teenager, he subscribed to Hansard to read the parliamentary debates in the House. So it's kind of amusing that uh, maybe he's been studying for the job for for, for 35 years. I don't know many teenagers who subscribe (laughs) to Hansard, um, which is the the official record of what happens in Parliament. Um, But what's interesting about him is that uh, first of all, being the first uh, black member of parliament to take this role um, is is something of interest. Not the first in Canada, though. The first in Canada to be the speaker was Emery Barnes in British Columbia um, uh, during the NDP government of the 1990s. Um, but it is uh, he's a University of Ottawa graduate uh, and Carleton University studied political science and international relations. Um, he's a previous national director of the Liberal Party, and that uh, is causing some concern among conservatives that they feel he may be too partisan. Um, but at the same time, you have that, and it's a tradition of friendly scene of Justin Trudeau and Pierre Poiliev, the conservative leader, dragging him up to the, the speaker's chair. Uh, the speaker has a lot of authority. Um, he even manages his own security force on Parliament Hill and is responsible for security of the of the grounds and all of that. So um, it's it's an important position. And and the other thing, one of his first rulings concerned Polyev when he referred to one of the Trudeau cabinet ministers. Uh, the industry minister as a, a Thanksgiving turkey, and then he said, "Well, that's unparliamentary language. You have to withdraw." So maybe he's trying to set a tone for for more dignified debate in the house. Mm-hmm. That is something that he said there. And Charlie, I'm really glad you mentioned that tradition. Whenever there's a new speaker, that they drag them to the chair. And I have to say that moment where Trudeau and Polyev are dragging Fergus to the chair, there was something really heartwarming and sweet because for once I was like, hey, it looks like Trudeau, Polyev, they're friends in this moment. Did you feel that way? Like, am I the only one who feels this? Like, it just felt it was like a moment of unity. Yeah, and I also think that these politicians spend so much time in each other's company. There's a lot of fireworks and, and nasty advertisements during election campaigns, but I think they know each other as kind of three-dimensional people, and some of this is, is a charade. A good example, I think, was Jagmeet Singh and Pierre Poiliev were kind of trash-talking each other on, on Twitter because uh, Poiliev was excoriating Jagmeet Singh for, for supporting the Liberal government when the grocery prices have gone up so much. And then Jagmeet Singh was kind of responding that Poiliev's a phony and everyone. And, and, and now the criticism of Poiliev, he's acting like Mr. Populist. But uh, the, the people who support the other parties are sending around these memes on social media about how he's living in a taxpayer-financed 
uh, home with servants. Well, he's the leader of the official opposition. He's put in Stornoway. And every opposition leader lives there. So he's no different from the others, but people are trying to score political points on that. So I guess it's just part of what we deal with in our political system. It's true. It is kind of the norm. Like I always say, there's never a dull moment in politics. Um, and another story to do with politics, moving over to Manitoba. Um, Manitoba makes history as Wab Canoe becomes the first first uh, Indigenous premier of Manitoba. I thought this was incredible. And especially, Charlie, for me, I think what really snaps out is Wab Canoe's story and his background. Yeah, and it's, it's a fascinating story. Uh, he's an excellent writer. And he was a very good journalist. But even before that, he was a rapper. And even before that, he was a very uh, troubled um, youth and young adult who got in some trouble with the law. And uh, he was charged on on different occasions and, and was convicted of impaired driving. Um, and then what he said is he cleaned up his act and wants to be an example other young people that if you make a mistake in life you can turn things around i think the conservatives really tried to um you know frame his past as as a, a problem for him being premier but he seems to have a very high um emotional intelligence and he comes across very well on camera very articulate um optimistic upbeat he's only 41 years old so that's uh, quite young for a premier, and he has three kids, and and uh, is well educated, and and I think his broadcasting experience really gives him this poise when he's speaking, and uh, and I think uh, we'll see how he does, but I, I have a feeling he might do very well as premier. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does. But like you said, just the amount of different positions he's held throughout his life. And I think for me, the part that was very sweet, I think, in his speech is when he talked about second chances and now how he didn't let yeah. you know the past define him. I thought that was a very sweet moment in his speech. Mm-hmm. And a very nice. And also, speech. you're dealing with a, the legacy of residential schools. Um, his father attended a residential school. It's uh, We don't know the intergenerational trauma that he kind of was laden on him in his youth um, or the racism that he experienced or what might have led to some of the problems that he had, but uh, he clearly turned his life around and uh, the public in Manitoba, they know him, they trust him, they gave him a majority government uh, after several NDP defeats in a row in the past, so uh, so we'll see see where where things go. I, I think the other thing is he may become a useful ally to Justin uh, Trudeau because the Liberals have had real trouble in recent years on the prairies and uh, Manitoba they have had breakthroughs before and, and I think the fact that the Conservatives were really soundly defeated in Manitoba suggests there might be some room for for gains by other parties, even on in, on the federal side. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see that. Also now, continue on in politics, moving to BC. And this was a poll that kind of made me scratch my head, Charlie. So I definitely want your thoughts on this. But this is according to a report from Leger. It published that on Thursday, 25% of voters polled indicated that they would vote for the Conservative Party of BC in a provincial election. This is second behind the BC NDP, which earned 42% of the voters' support. And mind you, with the Conservative Party, there's not many, you know, MLAs in that party represented. So what do you make of these numbers on this poll? Well, I think it's really bad news for Kevin Falcon because it, it gives the Conservatives uh, real momentum. There was a poll last month where they were at 19% and the BC United, which is Kevin Falcon's party, was at 20% by Research Co. But what happens when the Conservatives are going up is it offers a real temptation for more MLAs within the BC United Caucus to possibly cross the floor and join the Conservatives, and in particularly in Conservative ridings. So ones that I would be watching at for is uh, Tom Shapitka in Kootenai East, for instance, it's a coal mining region. Um, Ellis Ross from Skeena, who ran for leader. Um, John Rustad, who's now the Conservative leader, had supported Ellis Ross, as, as did Tom uh, Shapitka. Um, another one, maybe a little less likely, but I would still keep an eye on her, is Colin Emission, MLA Renee Merrifield. So, Tolkien has this problem because um, one of the Abbotsford MP, MLAs um, uh, jumped ship, uh, former mayor of Abbotsford, to join the BC Conservatives. So, Falcon's got to worry about the NDP, but he's he's fighting this two-front war right now, and I don't think he expected that. The turning point really came in August 2022, when John Rustad was making some... He was actually retweeting posts about the climate, and, and basically uh, Patrick Moore, who's this activist, was delinking carbon dioxide from rising global temperatures, and John Rustad retweeted it and caused an uproar, and then um, what happened was Kevin Falcon tossed him out of the caucus. And um, But it came after other things where Rustad had previously refused to respond to a reporter's question about whether climate change was caused by humans. And then on another occasion, he had suggested that carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. And, and so there was this kind of ongoing history is Kevin Falcon was trying to move his party, make it more um, palatable to um, urban voters and suburban voters. And then Rustin kept having his moments. So he kicks him out of the caucus, but then now that's kind of lit this forest fire called the Conservative Party. And, and now Falcon has to deal with both David Eby and John Rustin. Mm, be interesting to see what happens there Charlie thank you so much as always really appreciate your time you have a wonderful weekend okay thank you Karen bye